You are listening to the City on a Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information about our church and to support this ministry, visit cityonahilldfw.com. Thank you. invite you to give acknowledgement to our student ministry here this morning. Good to see you. Excellent to have you in here. Be quiet. Just kidding. Just kidding. I don't, I don't get to say that, you know, you're not over here in like one big group normally. And so it's, it's just, I got to take the, the shots while I can. Hey, I want to say, first of all, good morning and welcome to what we are uh, kind of loosely calling Help for Families Sunday. Uh, I'll be excited to introduce here in just a little while Denise Schick, the founder director of Help for Families, uh, a nonprofit organization that exists to minister to and provide resources for families who are affected by gender dysphoria. Uh, Just uh, in a little while, uh, after I say a few things, we are going to have her come up and do a little time, a little discussion together, hear from her, hear her story and uh, the ministry of Help for Families and just some really, I think, uh, helpful things for you. Um, My hope is that today will provide a a kind of encouragement and a sense of support from your church family as you uh, engage in this topic, uh, whether that is in a personal manner with people in your family or you yourself struggle with it or uh, just from afar. We're we're hopeful to provide a beginning point, a foundation point for how we can think about these issues more clearly. And I I do want to acknowledge... um, in the beginning here, we have had a good number of guests. First of all, welcome. We're so glad that you came to worship with us today. Uh, I want to just um, make mention of the fact that on a normal Sunday, uh, save the last two to three months, our, our worship center stage doesn't typically look like a construction zone. Uh, that is that way because we are under construction on the stage and incidentally also in a sermon series, a verse-by-verse study through First John called Under Construction. And so uh, that is the reason for that. This project will be uh, completed and... Um, I think going to be very exciting for Resurrection Sunday. And so if you don't have a place to worship on Easter, we'd love to have you come. 8 a.m., 9, 15, and 10.30 service times, they're all the same exact kind of service. So uh, just pick one and come to it. We'd love to have you be a part of us for that momentous morning. Uh, I mentioned last week that the number one reason, according to many surveys, the one in particular I read for certain, Uh, that people leave the church today has to do overwhelmingly with the issue of sexuality, specifically with regard to the LGBTQ community. Uh, And the reasons for this, I believe, are complex. The reasons why people leave the church for this reason are are not as just simple as we sometimes like to think that they are. There's a lot of interwoven reasons for why people do the things that they do. It's certainly more nuanced than I have time to unpack this morning. And so rather than trying to tackle this issue wholesale, very broadly, for a short amount of time, I want to begin my time here, before I bring Denise up, with what I would think of as like a prerequisite to this discussion, to this topic of sexuality. In other words, what I, it's my contention that if you want to talk about sexuality, gender dysphoria, or any topic that fits broadly under that umbrella, there is a prerequisite that you must complete before you talk about this if, it's an important word, if you want to talk about it from a biblical perspective, 
with a Christ-like spirit. And both of those are very important. We want to have a biblical perspective on sexuality. That's very, very important for us foundationally as Christians. But we also want to communicate that biblical perspective to other people with a Christ-like spirit. Both are super important. And so uh, if you want to talk about this issue from a secular standpoint, there is a good amount of data on the dangers and the destruction and there's statistics and all of that with regard to gender dysphoria. They're out there. It's available to you. Google it. Um, it's a really dangerous thing for a pastor to say. So there's a lot of crap information on Google, but, but there are some actual studies on this from a secular perspective. Our goal at City on a Hill is to not think secularly, it's to think biblically, to think and talk Christianly. And if we're gonna do that, then there is a prerequisite I, must, uh, I believe we must all undergo before we can begin this discussion. Do you wanna know what it is? So, and, and this is a prerequisite not only for this topic, but really for any topic that is uh, an issue in the world that you face currently. It's, it, this is a good prerequisite for any kind of discussion you're going to have with another person, whether it is confrontational or, or likewise, this will revolutionize your life. Are you ready? You must die. You're like, no, wait a minute. What kind of crap advice is that? It's fair. Uh, it's a fair question. It's advice from the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, open them to Luke chapter 9, verse 23. It's actually the best advice we could possibly receive as Christians. Let's read it. And he, Jesus, said to all, to all, by the way, not to his disciples, not to the Pharisees, not to a certain group of people, everyone that was around Jesus, he says to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. These are strong words. If anyone would come after me. In other words, translation, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, if you want to be a disciple of the Lord, Jesus says, you must die. You must take up your instrument of death. We have a very uh, romanticized view of the cross today. We hang it on our walls. We have necklaces. We have jewelry. We have it on our shirts. Um, it would be like having an electric chair hung on your wall or on your shirt. This is an instrument of death, of corporate death, of judicial death. This is the means by which Rome and several other nations in the ancient world put people, the worst of people, to death. And this command of Christ, or at least the lack of emphasis of it in today's Christian culture, is, I think, the largest reason for where we've mostly gone wrong in the evangelical church. All of our problems regarding how we relate to one another and how we relate to the outside world how we understand and communicate biblical truth begins with the fundamental problem that we have failed to drive home in churches, which is this, following Jesus will require your death. We like to think that, that being a Christ follower, being a Christian means I get a better life now, right? I get the house I've always wanted and the family I've always wanted. All my problems go away. Jesus, when I pray the prayer, comes over me with magical Jesus dust and he sprinkles it over my life and I am all of a sudden happy. I have no more problems. And if I don't uh, feel happy or still have problems, it's because I just don't have enough faith yet. I haven't believed God enough, right? Wrong. Jesus says not only will your life not probably get better, it will get likely worse on my account. You must die every single day for the rest of your life until you actually die, which will also probably be on my account, Jesus says. 
So when it comes to social issues, issues concerning same-sex attraction, issues concerning gender, gender dysphoria, if we don't begin here as Christians with the call of Jesus to die to self, we run the risk of injecting our own thoughts and opinions or wants and desires into the discussion, and we come away with a solution that is neither biblical nor Christian. If we want to understand the Bible clearly, it begins with your death. Now, what do I mean by that? There's at least two ways that Jesus says we must die in this passage. Number one, you must die voluntarily. You must die voluntarily. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. For as simple as this verse is, there is a lot to say about it. For starters, I want you to consider the word deny. Uh, it's the Greek term arneomai. It's a word that means to completely renounce or to disclaim or to decline. So you could think of the kind of self-denial that Jesus calls us as Christians to as a rejection of a life based on self-interest and self-fulfillment. It means that you put to death all that you desire for yourself. You stop pursuing the things that you individually want for yourself in order to begin pursuing the things that Jesus would have you pursue for him. And this is a commandment. It's in the imperative in the Greek. So Jesus is not saying, hear this, pray about whether or not you should deny yourself. You know, pray about, get alone with the Father and consider whether denying yourself might be a good fit for you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you cannot follow me unless you die to yourself first. Now, it may be very self-evident why this passage is being talked about in a discussion with regard to sexuality and gender dysphoria. The call to Jesus, to follow Jesus, is a call that requires you to re reject your, your self-interests and your self-desires, and that includes a rejection of your sexual desires in place of the kinds of desires, hear this, for which you were created, for which you were made. Now understand, that is a very unpopular thing to say in the world today. Some of you are probably not even totally happy with that. The world will do everything in its power to silence this message that the Bible is very clear about. How dare you some, or tell someone to reject their own sexual desires? That's unloving, right? That's hateful. That's bigoted thinking. Your body, your choice, who gets to tell you otherwise? But listen to me, the starting point of following the Lord is a wholesale rejection of a life based on self-interest. If the life that you are all about is how you can live better, have more fun, have more things, have more pleasure, have the things that you desire, you are living life fully. It's just not the life that Christ calls us to. It's not the Christian life. It's not a biblical life. It's a life that does not honor Jesus or the commandments that he puts before his people because life in Christ begins with a denial of those things. Now, I realize also that this can sound a little self-loathing, right? Almost sounds like self-hate. Just got to get, get rid of everything that you desire and be a robot for Jesus. And that's not true either. The denial of self that Jesus calls us to is in some ways a little bit of a paradox. You know what a paradox is? Something that just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It says like the same thing that's opposite at the same time. This verb for denying yourself is in the Greek what we would call the middle voice. So we got to do a little bit of grammar here. Put your grammar hats on for a moment. You're right in the middle of grammar, most of you over here, so you should be right with me. Uh, Jesus uses the middle voice in this commandment. And if you've been around here consistently for the last couple of years, 
And you've heard me or Dr. Reeves teach on Ephesians 5. This is another place where the middle voice often gets brought up. Then you've heard us talk about this, but I want to give you a little primer on it so that we are all clear. In English, there are two voices that we utilize in the way that we communicate, the active voice and the passive voice. So in the active voice, remember, the subject of the sentence is the one doing the action of the verb. The boy kicked the ball. The boy is the subject. Kick is the verb. The boy is the one doing the kicking. And just so we're saying it all, the ball is the direct object. Just so we just want to kind of, right, give you all the, the facts. In the passive voice, it changes slightly to which uh, the subject is then being acted upon by the verb. So the boy was hit by the ball. Now the boy is the subject, hit is the verb, and the verb is the one impacting the subject. So in this particular passage in Luke 9.23, it's in the imperative, it's a third person singular. Uh, we know that by the way the word is constructed. Greek has little endings that kind of tell us a lot about what it's trying to convey. The subject here of this verb is he. He must deny, or the ESV transla translates it, let him deny. He is the subject. The verb is deny, right? He must deny. So this looks active. It looks active because he's the subject. He's the one doing the denying. Looks very active. But Greek has a middle voice as well. The English language doesn't have this. It's a separate word ending in Greek. It looks active, but in the middle voice, here's the difference. The subject does the action of the verb, but with special interest to itself. In other words, the subject acts because the acting will benefit the subject. So the idea here is that by denying yourself, you are doing this denying with special interest for yourself. It's an acknowledgement that denial of self-care is actually the best kind of self-care you can give yourself. Because if I don't deny myself and my own desires, or what we talked about last week, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, those things will lead me to a place that eventually bring harm and detriment into my life. So it's a little bit of a paradox, isn't it? It is simultaneously a rejection of self-fulfillment and self-interest, and at the same time, one of the most self-fulfilling and self-interested things you can do. So it's not an act of self-hate or self-loathing. It's a kind of denial that does so with the best intentions for oneself. So before you can discuss this topic, you have to die voluntarily. But secondly, you must die daily. Look at verse 23 again. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So the idea here is that, that self-denial is not a one-time event either. So that one time when you prayed the prayer of faith, you confessed your sin, you confessed your need for Jesus, you were born again, the Spirit of God became indwelling within you, you were formally adopted by God, transferred out of the kingdom of the darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son, all the things the Bible says when you got saved, when you became a Christian, that should not be the only time where you died to yourself. This is an ongoing daily process that has to be done sometimes multiple times a day. It implies the idea that the temptation to follow your fleshly desire won't go away. You need to hear that, at least not on this side of eternity. Now, there is a day coming in the future where we're given new heavenly bodies and we're resurrected and all these wonderful things take place. Jesus wipes away every tear, Revelation 21, pain goes away, sin is put to death, Satan is defeated, everything is great, no more, no more problems, no more pain. That is a, a glorious day that awaits us. 
But that day is not today, at least not yet, by 11.13 Central Standard Time. I mean, he could come back right now, and I'd be, I would welcome that. I wouldn't even have to finish this sermon. <laughs> we just go to glory right now. But it does imply that at the time, we will have to voluntarily, daily, multiple times a day, put to death our desires. Now, I, this is the starting place for following Jesus Christ. If you want to be a Christian, if you're not a Christian and you're like starting to, the wheels are starting to turn, how do I do that? This is how it starts. Confession of sin, denial of self, taking up your cross and following him. That's the message of the gospel. And we would love to walk through that with you, see you come to faith if you are not already. It is also my intention that that is the starting place for a conversation regarding biblical sexuality, both for the individual struggling with same-sex attraction and the Christian who has a friend or a family member who struggles with it. And there's a couple of reasons for that. First, this call to die levels the ground that we stand on. One argument that I hear often thrown out by people in the world is, well, you aren't gay, so you'll never know the struggle. You've probably heard that before. But understand that the command to put your desires to death from Jesus applies to everyone. Jesus isn't speaking to gay people here. He's speaking to all people. Anyone who wants to follow him must put to death their desires, must put their desires on the altar of sacrifice first. So do I know what it's like to put to death homosexual desire? No, but I know what it's like to put to death heterosexual desire. I have to do it every single day of my life. Just because I, there, are, there, are, there is a right way, and then Satan wants to pervert anything that God has done, both in a heterosexual and in a homosexual sense. So this is a call for all people to die. It levels the, the playing field. Everyone experiences the burden, the, the, the depth of pain and suffering that it requires to put self to death in order to follow Jesus. So it doesn't matter where you come from, or what you look like, or what gender you are, there are two of them, by the way, what language you speak, or what dumb ideas you believe, and we all have them, everyone must die before they come to him. It levels the ground. Not only that, but it secondly, because it levels the ground, it links us together as well. If I accept the call to die to myself and follow Jesus every single day, and I also accept that anyone who decides to follow Jesus must do the same, it makes empathizing with those people who are struggling a whole lot easier, doesn't it? So for example, if I'm speaking with someone who is struggling with same-sex attraction, and they're really wrestling with this issue, and they want to live a life that is honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're struggling with it, I can have great empathy for that person because I myself knows what it means to put to death desires of my own. The call to, to die, in other words, links me together with fellow sufferers, and it should produce a, a very deep sense of humility towards other people and a desire to empathize with those who are hurting. I'll be honest with you. In my experience, the most unwelcoming, intolerant, and harsh Christians, especially towards this issue, are usually the most self-righteous and out of touch with their sin. They demand others to die to self, and they themselves are unwilling to do so. The self-righteous, arrogant spirit that permeates throughout so much of the church, especially in America, is usually an, an indicative of a life that is very religious and very unyielded to Christ. It is my belief that it is impossible to die to yourself daily, to know the struggle of putting to death the flesh, and then to turn around and judge others as they struggle to do the same. 
Self-denial, dying to self, should produce empathy for those who are desiring the same thing. So let me ask you a question. Are you willing to put to death every single self-interested and self-fulfilling desire that you have in order to follow Jesus? I'm not saying you're going to do it perfectly. Spoiler alert, you're not. But are you willing? Are you willing to put them to death? Because if the answer is no, Derek, I'm not. That's your business. But when it comes to the discussion of how we think Christianly and biblically about the issues of gender dysphoria, I'm going I'm to very gently ask you as a brother in the Lord to keep your mouth shut. Now, if you are willing to put to death the desires of the flesh, then we can begin to have this discussion. And on that note, I would like for you to give a warm welcome to Denise Schick. This is on for you. There we go. Have a seat, Denise. Welcome on. Good to be back here. It's great to be back. It's been about 20 minutes. And... Uh, <laughs> I would love, first of all, for you to just tell all these wonderful people who you are and, and uh, just a little bit about yourself, how you came to know us, and how, how did this all start? Okay, well, that's quite a lot, isn't it? It is. <laughs> all right, well, I got to know you all uh, because of uh, the journey that I had as a young girl. Most nine-year-olds are wondering what's for school lunch or if they're going to get a brownie for dessert or maybe pass their math test. And for myself, it was trying to survive at home. Yeah. My father had told me at nine of his desire to become a woman, along with several other dark secrets that no child should hear. As I'm listening to him, I immediately thought I lost my dad. I didn't have two moms trying to make sense and to process this. Uh, with that, there were other details. Um, I understood that my grandmother was an alcoholic, my grandfather, and he never connected. Uh, he wasn't the all-star football player as my uncle was and the well-loved social bug. But I didn't know that my dad was sexually molested until that day. Now, when I walked away from that conversation or one-sided conversation and trying to decide how this was going to change my life, I thought it wouldn't, you know, we're two separate people, but that was a lie. It deeply affected me. By the time I was 11 and 12 years old, I went through some confusion of myself, wondering if maybe I was gay or maybe you should have been a man. Taking that thought captive and actually walking in my bedroom like men walked, imagining myself with a beard, what would that mean for my life? And that would mean marrying a woman so that I was a heterosexual. So this stuff gets kind of crazy. Uh, by the time I was 13, I was saving my babysitting and lunch money for alcohol, trying to find some way to numb the pain that I was going through. It didn't matter where it was, football game, in between English class. I, you know, you, you had your wine, and that's all that I needed. That's all I thought I needed. Uh, actually, by uh, 14, in eighth grade, I had my suicide plan. I figured it was the only way to escape what I was going through, and better to be dead than to be living through all this hurt and pain. 
My dad was wearing my clothes at that time, and I had to go through a period of denial before I had to face the reality of what was happening. There was a peak hole. There was sexual inappropriateness. Uh, so to help you understand what would make her want to take her own life. But, you know, God always comes in the midst right when we are sometimes at our lowest. And it was at this point where he introduced me to my husband, um, not then, at 15, but uh, Mark, who was a Christian. I was raised Catholic, and I believed in God. God was the only one that I had to talk to through this. But I didn't know anything about having Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior to have a relationship with him. And that was something that I hungered for, to know more about. And so at that time, Mark and I began to, to date, and I learned more about Jesus. I asked Jesus into my heart. And I thought everything was going to be okay, right? <laughs> because you accept Jesus, everything's going to be good. Amen. I'm glad Pastor Derek understands. <laughs> but that's not what happened. You know, the resentment, the hurt, the pain, the, the, the neglect, the emotional abuse uh, did not go away. And the unforgiveness grew. It grew into a dark monster. Didn't talk about this at home, still not telling anybody, and wondering if maybe Dad had gotten better because it was quiet, um, wasn't overhearing too much of the conversations. I knew of actions of my father's outside of the home because I was that nosy child. But on my wedding day, when I'm still in denial, thinking that dad had gotten some help because it appeared to be quiet, reality would set in again as I went up to greet him and put my arm in his to walk me up the aisle. And he turned and he looked at me and he said, I wish it were me in that gown. Stuffing it in, like so many of us family members do with what we go through. Put that smile on your face, Denise. You've deceived everybody most of your life. You've become a master at it. From that day forward, my dad did end up leaving to fully transition to become known as Becky. And that anger, that resentment, that hurt, that pain, the desperation, the depression that set in, you can't understand unless you really walk. You can be compassionate and have empathy, but unless you go through this to understand the level of where this takes family members. And as that cancer inside me grew full of anger and resentment, the Lord had called me to a time when my dad was diagnosed with cancer to go and once and for all forgive. And I said, no, I'm pretty good right where I'm at. Through my anger, I cut my wedding pictures, I took every piece of jewelry I had that, that he had gifted me anything, and I threw it in the trash. But God won in the end, and to make this short story uh, for you all, that's when I learned the power of forgiveness. But I also learned that when you go to forgive, which is what God calls us to do and what he desires for us to do, but there are times that Satan will tempt us to hold on to that. Right. And that's exactly what he did at that moment for me. When my dad looked at me and said, Denise, I'm so sorry. There's so much that I had done to you that I don't remember. Oh, that anger just started to bubble. And yet spiritually, I knew, I recognized what was happening. 
Satan wants you to continue to live in this. He loves it when you're in bondage to that hate. Yeah. Well, praise God, I didn't. And through five more difficult months with my dad, um, and the Lord called me to ministry, I did not look to do ministry. Believe me, I did not look. Same. He does that, doesn't he? <laughs> in fact, for two years, I confess before you, I had the audacity to tell God, no, you go find somebody else. I've been there, I've been through it, and I'm not doing this. Almost two and a half years. But he never let go. He knew what he wanted. And he won. Same there? Yeah. Well. <laughs> so through that journey of being the daughter, the family member of, you know, it's funny, I, I write books, I do different things, Derek, and um, tried to move outside of the scope of transgenderism or homosexuality, and people say, oh, she's the transgender daughter. And I'm thinking, no, I'm the daughter of the king. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. So that's how I describe myself. But it's... Um, that's, that's my journey. This is what the Lord has used to raise up help for families 19 years ago yeah. when none of you probably heard the word cross-dresser, transgender, homosexual, transitioning to, cost, or to transgenderism. It's gotten absolutely crazy. Yeah. But what God's done through the ministry, and I say what he's done because this is his ministry. He just has called me to lead it. He runs it. And we are ministering and have to families in Australia and Canada and Germany and Spain across the nation, along with America. Families that had nowhere else to go, somebody to, to understand with a biblical perspective that will offer biblical tools, biblical counseling, and come alongside of them to see it spiritually. Because we don't see that this is really the greatest warfare of our time or that these young people are going through the situations that I hear of young people, I'll tell you, I'll take being as old as I am rather than to be a, a, a young person today. It's tremendous. It is. And so the ministry has continued with many different resources um, that we can talk about. But yeah. that's how coming to know you, you asked how did I get to know you all. Uh, eight years ago, I was searching for a church to do a conference, a family conference, uh, for pastors, for anybody that wanted to learn. See, that's my heart. I want you to learn. Yeah. Because you may not know anybody at this time that's dealing with homosexuality, transgenderism, but trust me, they're either silently sitting beside you in the church pew, or they're your neighbor, or they are your relative that doesn't know how to expose what's going on and how they're suffering. And so through that, we couldn't, everybody was denying us. You know, deny, 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 we don't talk about that, we don't want that. And then there was one church that, though they denied us, said, we know of this hospital church. And they don't reject anybody. <laughs> and of course, Dr. James Reeves was here heading it up at that time, but you guys were so quick, yeah. so quick to respond and now we had our home church, our home church in Amen. Fort Worth, Texas Amen. to come to. Amen. I, uh, I remarked for service that I, I just, I can't imagine the embarrassment I would feel as a pastor to tell someone like, yeah, we don't really talk about that here, but there's a church down the street <laughs> full of really messed up people that 
probably would have no problem taking you in. It's just, it's, uh, it's a remarkable and, and sad reality that we live in. And, uh, you know, you mentioned first service, something that, that piqued my attention, and, and I wondered if you would just briefly touch on it regarding your early childhood and the environmental factors that led you into some of the confusion you faced and how that translates today with the environmental factors that many of our young people are experiencing. Can you speak to that a little bit? Well, you know, honestly, coming into questioning God, yeah. uh, you know, um, if I'm in my environment with my dad who really believed that he was a woman, and I'm in the environment where I'm noticing same-sex attraction with young boyfriends that I'm bringing home, how do I know I am who I am? How do I know I am who the Bible says I am? How do I know that I'm really heterosexual, Right. that I am a girl. And that's where my heart just pours out for our young people today. The amount of pressure on a lot of young people to identify as LGBTQ+, somewhere in the alphabet, is tremendous. And if they don't agree with somebody that's uh, their decision, uh, to move forward in their same-sex attraction or in their gender issues. Some of the bullyism that I have heard, the rejection, you know, now they're the isolated ones. Yeah. Uh, but the confusion itself, just understanding in that environment. I mean, I had, I wanted to be a model. I never got tall enough, you know, <laughs> but I had posters of girls, you know, that modeled in the clothing and the, my one whole wall. I started thinking, Are you, do you have these girls up there? Because maybe, you know, you really like them, Denise. You want to be with them, Denise? Yeah. That admiration. Um, but how Satan can just come in the smallest crack door to make a person, a young person, second guess what God has planned for them. I look, Derek, and I think if I would have fallen into that, would I be here today? Yeah, right. What would, what would Satan have stolen from me? He would have stole my husband, Mark. He would have stolen having four children, being a grandmother. My life, you know, even if you take your family members out, the, the life of what he has planned for us. Right. And that's why when we look at it spiritually, we see what Satan wants to do. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to, the battle isn't so much against you as it is against God, right? It's a raging battle against God. And what better than to go after God's creation? Right. His people. And our young people. So good. Talk a, a little bit. So uh, we want to this is a good time to, I guess, give you some information on it. Uh, in May, May 19th and 20th, we are going to be hosting here the Hope Gathering 2023. Uh, there is a QR code for you to register. It will also be available for you to register in several places leading up to the event. Um, we have several people that um, are going to be there speaking to very specific aspects of these issues. And Again, uh, like Denise said, if you don't feel personally impacted by this issue, you either probably are and aren't aware of it or, or you will be at some point. I mean, the likelihood of this is, is only going to become more um, prevalent before anything changes, if anything changes, right? And so uh, giving you the tools to communicate 
clearly, biblically, with the right kind of spirit, the right kind of heart towards people is very, very important to us. Uh, I made this point for service that I think Christians are so often guilty of just taking the easy way out of things. And what I mean by that is that for this particular issue, there, there is the very easy way out of either just giving wholesale approval to everything that happens around you because it's none of your business and I don't want to get in the middle of it and whatever, right? That's easy. That's lazy. Um, but it's equally easy to just like throw the truth out like a, like a hammer with no compassion, with no understanding of the nuanced nature of this issue. And, and so we want to always push you to the more difficult, more challenging, but yet more biblical role that Christians are to play, which is to speak truth, but in love. To do so with the kind of heart that is uh, yielded to Christ and sensitive to other people, but also unapologetic about what the Bible says. And, and you can learn to do this more and more as you get educated by people who are in this industry, if you want to call it that, or, or ministry is probably a better, a better term. And so um, May 19th and 20th, talk to us a little bit, because eight years ago when you first came to do Hope, Hope Gathering, the world was a different place. Um, it was a very, very different place. This issue, I remember when I first came to it, 2015, um, I remember thinking as I was listening to the speakers, I was very impressed, and I, but I remember thinking like, this is, a, this is such a good and needed ministry for like a very niche category of people, you know, very small, uh, very specific. I don't know too many people, but the ones I do know, they could really be benefited here. And uh, boy, has that changed in 2023. Um, it's not a niche category anymore. It's a very front and center issue in our world. And so talk to us about the kind of people that are going to be there speaking and, and what they can expect to come if they register. Sure. Thank you. Um, so the uh, event is uh, obviously there for family members so that they don't feel alone. Um, I have gotten word from a couple from California that will be traveling in, a couple from Tennessee. So as you can see, people are, as you said, you know, needing something of this type of an event. It's, it's a time where we minister to the heart and to the soul. We encourage your own pastor will be speaking on faith. So <laughs> if anything, come and listen to now Pastor they hear, Derek. They hear me enough. Don't come for me. <laughs> uh, we are very blessed and honored to have June Hunt with us from Hope for the Heart. Uh, many of you know, are aware of her. There will be David Pickup, that is a therapist that was in Dallas. He's now in Houston, a very dear friend and been in the line of work of same-sex attraction for a long time. He'll be teaching a workshop uh, that is really ideal for parents or even young people where he's allowing the opportunity to give tools of this discussion and how to equip our, our children today. Uh, we also have Dr. James Phelan, who is a board member, and he will be presenting our first workshop ever on this, Detransitioners. Mm. If you are watching the news, you are seeing an uprise of young people that have had their bodies destroyed. Yeah. Absolutely destroyed. And are now saying, why did you allow this to happen? In fact, there is a young 17-year-old from California, Chloe, uh, who has now taken on the pharmaceutical company, the insurance company, and everybody else, and may God bless her with a tremendous amount of a lawsuit. Yeah. yeah. Um, with that will be Dr. Um, Robert Gagnon, who is a theologian, 
Uh, Sherry Holt, a board member who left her husband and her young son for a relationship with a woman, and she does a fabulous job on emotional enmeshment with women that leads many times into same-sex attraction relationships. Uh, as I'm going down through my, <laughs> my memory lane here That's as I'm, I'm trying to think, um, we've, we've just, we've, oh, M.D. Perkins? Oh, that reminds me. Yes. So many of you might be aware of American Family Association, and M.D. Perkins is from this organization. He was actually one of the film crew that had come to my home when they were creating the documentary In His Image, and that's in inhisimage.movie. It's a free download, that's why I tell you that, because it addresses what we're here talking about. And he will be with us as well presenting. So we have an absolute fabulous group of folks that are coming. Now I do want to forewarn you that if you walk in these doors, you will be walking into the doors of somebody that's known as a terrorist. Yeah. And that occurred a year ago in February when both of the ministries, Help for Families and Living Stones Ministries that I lead, was taken off of Facebook with cancel culture. Um, though it brought to the attention of a Christian writer for Christian Post, and because of his investigation, they put us back on Facebook for now, but it did not remove me from being known as a terrorist. My heart is not to hate the person that struggles. I understand. I understood my dad's pain. I have listened to countless people that have struggled with same-sex attraction and transgender issues, and I can't tell you that there's not a phone call that I haven't walked away from and thought, Lord, why wouldn't they? Yeah. Why wouldn't they look at that as a way out? Yeah. Pain. Every case has been filled with pain. Mm. I'm here to love them just as you would. Yeah. I'm here to come alongside of them and encourage them and tell them that God has much more for them. And for the families, to know that this is a safe place that they can come, that there are others that understand what they're going through. We don't hear about the pain of the family members. We don't hear the truth about the individual that struggles or that's transitioning the reasons or that's leading them into a gay marriage. But for the families, you don't hear about the wives that have been left behind by a man that's transitioned and have committed suicide. Yeah. You don't hear about the son that's left behind that tells me he feels like a bag of garbage. Or the fact of the addiction of pornography because he has to prove he's not like dad being a trans woman. He has to be a man. The daughters that receive text messages of their dad while they're transitioning and trying to look more like their daughters. So psychologically and emotionally, this distraughts everybody. The grandparents that have the ultimatum, you will call me James or you will never see me again. Yeah. So it's taken a whole different level, a deep level, than what homosexuality had in the past with the families. And it leads to death and destruction. I think they got it right in this magazine to call it the false gospel, the LGBTQ false gospel, because it is, it promises inclusion, it promises, you know, an embrace, and, and these are the things you don't hear about. These are the, this is the, the uh, you know, 
the ripple effect that you don't get news of, right. um, that, they, that they will not tell you about because it doesn't really fit with the narrative that, that is so often proclaimed. I, uh, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago when we were still in the gym, uh, we read through 1 John, we talked about the assurances that we have in Christ and how right now I, I believe our church really needs to be reminded of those things given that we're getting closer and closer to Easter weekend, I feel like this is a time when the church is often most vulnerable to spiritual warfare. And, uh, and then we're going to get through, Lord willing, Resurrection Sunday, and we're going to have another target on our back as we welcome in a terrorist organization for a conference called Hope Gathering. And uh, I say that jokingly, um, you know, we are a little bit of a terrorist organization towards the world, <laughs> towards Satan. Um, the truth is terrifying to the world. And so uh, I would say that um, continue to pray for, uh, for Denise, certainly, for help for families, for us on staff, and, and for you and for the families here. Um, you know, it would be so easy for me, I'll, I'll say this kind of in closing, it would be so easy for me to just go like, you know what, we're not going to deal with the, the world affairs. We're going we're gonna to just preach the Bible and we're going to teach you about, you know, whatever it is that we're going to teach you about, and, and, you know, you need to just pray more and thumbs up, right? And that's what a lot of churches do. They don't want to have this discussion. They don't want the fallout from it. They don't want the, the you know, the, the messiness of it. But what is the point of learning the Bible, learning how God has revealed himself, if not for us to then apply it to every issue we face in the world around us? We got to know this stuff. This is not something, you know, I heard uh, if you were at the Women's Choice Resource Center on uh, the gala on uh, Friday night, Dr. William Lyle made this comment, and I would say it's exactly true to this topic as well, abortion and uh, transgenderism, same-sex attraction. This is not a, a fight that should be primarily fought by professionals in the world or experts in the medical field or therapists or psychologists. We need those people. We need those people doing the work they do. It's so important. But this is a fight that should be being fought by pastors and Christians because this is a spiritual fight. This is a spiritual war. Death, suicide, estrangement, families destroyed, pornography, that is the fruit of death. That is the fruit of Satan and death waged upon a world created by God in his image. We ought to be on the front lines of this issue. And we ought to do so with truth and also with extreme Christ-likeness in the way that we approach other people. Has this been helpful to you? I'd like to ask that you, you take a direction and look over here at these young people. Yeah. These are the ones that we're fighting for yeah. as God's people. These are the ones we need to be praying for. We need to be equipped for. As Tom Derrick in, in the other service, I started writing children's books three years ago to be able to combat the lies of the LGBT and what they're telling our children. Those are being taken out of libraries or rejected. Yeah. Look at your children, your grandchildren, your neighbor's children. You might not be going through this right now yourself, but I'm telling you, I'm betting you, there's somebody in your life that will come to you or that you might know now that is dealing with this. Will you be equipped to come alongside of them? If the answer is no, I am begging you to come. I want you to understand. I want you to be equipped. 
to listen to the stories, to be equipped by those that have been working behind the scenes for many years before this culture, cancer culture, woke movement has taken our world. Thank you. Let's pray for Denise if we could. Uh, and I'm just going to ask you to really, yeah, direct your attention and, and focus towards praying for not only her and her family, but certainly the staff at uh, Help for Families and anyone who is going to be in the Hope Gathering uh, conference as well. Um, and anyone who's planning on attending, this is a, an event that I think uh, we will, I, I expect no shortage of, of problems, of obstacles. It's always how it ends up being. And so just pray for God's providence that we would be able to do the work that he desires that's honoring to him and, uh, and, and built on truth and love for people who struggle. Let's pray with her and then we will, I'll give you a little instruction afterwards as well. Father, thank you for Denise and her witness to uh, be such a light in a literally dark world. We are grateful for her experience, for the, the way that you have taken her malady and made it her ministry, for the way that you have taken her pain and you have allowed her to translate that into empathy with others who struggle with the same exact kind of pain. Would you, God, continue to reinforce in her the, the call that you put on her life to do this and and uh, would you protect her and her family and all of those who are going to be involved in this conference as they uh, prepare? And, and, and would you protect and, and, and comfort and come alongside and encourage the families who are going to be in attendance as well, that they would feel supported, that they would be equipped in a way that uh, is just so helpful and edifying to them, and that you would birth in us the desire to live out our faith in a very real way as we approach this subject, that we may give an answer for our faith in the face of this issue, but do so in a way that doesn't bring disrepute on your name, God. We, we desire to honor you. We, we desire to be salt and light in the world. And we recognize that that calls for both a firm commitment to the truth of your word and also a firm commitment to loving our neighbor as ourself. And, um, and we pray specifically, God, for these young people here in this room today as well. They have no idea yet what is actually awaits them. And, and I know that I remember being in that position and feeling like, man, people can't speak to what I feel or what I know. And, and um, God, you know. You know what lies ahead of them. Would you protect their hearts and would you give them an openness to hear truth as well? They need it. Uh, and, and, and more than anything, a, a deep sense of of the love that we all have for them uh, and, and an openness for them to ask questions without feeling judged or without feeling, you know, uh, uncomfortable. Um, we want to be that for them as a church, as pastors, as leaders, as parents. Would you help us be that for that generation? Uh, Lord, we love you. All that we have is from your hand. We recognize that. You're a good and gracious God. We thank you for every gift that comes from you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to say quickly, um, we are going to, in about 15 to 20 minutes, I'm going to say, is that good for you back there? 15 to 20 minutes, I was given the double thumbs up, um, to meet back in here and to have an additional conversation with Denise. We do have childcare available for this. 
we do have an open space for students. Obviously, for if you have younger kids and you're not sure that they're really ready to be in a, in a conversation like this, then we do have that available over there. But certainly for um, student ministry, uh, welcome to, to join and stay. We will have the catch box. If you come to my Wednesday night class, you know what that is. It's a highly aggressive microphone that I will throw literally at you. <laughs> literally. Um, but it's padded, so it won't hurt too bad if you miss and get hit in the face with it. Uh, it will allow you to ask questions where the whole room can hear. Uh, we are going to, I'm going to give you a disclaimer up front, so hear me when I say this, okay? We are going to not stream this. We are going to record it. If we feel like, yeah, let me ask this, just by a show of hands, and one is fine. Would that inhibit you from asking a question if we record it? Because if it does, Stacy's not, he doesn't care. Don't raise your hand, Stacy. <laughs> if it does, then we will, not, we will not film it and we will certainly not ever release it. But we want, we want to have it as an option in case it is a really helpful tool that we can then export out to families as they need it. So I just want to put that out there. Um, 20 minutes. So if you have kids in this, the, the children's ministry, what you're going to want to do is get up, go and get them, take them down to wherever you are directed to take them for this next part of the day, and then be back in here, get your seat ready, and we will have an excellent time with Denise. Give her one more round of applause if you would. Yeah. Yeah. You are dismissed. Now go, go, get your children. <laughs> <laughs>